1: You. I am Debbie Rakers, and I'm part of a Troy missional community, and I am so thrilled to be able to do this after um, two surgeries and, and uh, two cataract removals on my eyes. I can finally read, and I am super, super excited about this. It's been five years, so I'm excited. Now, when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surroundings, enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling in all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel did I speak at word did I speak at word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying why have you not built me a house of cedar now it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all the vision. Nathan spoke to David. Uh, That's God's word and thank you.
0: Well, good morning, church. Excited to be here with you. Excited to get into this text. Thank you, ladies, both of you and David, for being up here and leading us uh, into this moment. Thanks for Jeff and Steve, too, and everyone else serving. Uh, Man, just did a good job of ushering us into the throne room of grace, didn't they? And so, um, excited to get into this. Text with you. My name is Corey. I'm one of the pastors on staff. I get to be your teaching pastor uh, for the next uh, couple of weeks. So excited to get to settle in here with you uh, in this series. We're currently in not only a series, but a season that's called Advent. Uh, in the season of Advent, that word Advent means to await, to await the coming of a king. And so it's not just a Christmas season, but it's an Advent season. And so when we step into Advent, we're stepping into Advent alongside millions of other Christians all around the world that are saying, hey, we want to identify with Israel and what it felt like to await the coming king. Uh, we're also simultaneously stepping into this reality that we too are awaiting a king. We're waiting on Jesus to come back, his second coming, or to take us home. Regardless, there is a season of wait or a season of Advent. And so we're currently in a series that's called Promises. And what we're doing is we're looking at the promises that God has made to establish his kingdom that will reign Forever. So whenever I got to preach a few weeks ago, we got to look at Adam and Eve and original sin and the promise of a seed or an offspring that would come and crush the serpent's head. And then Pastor David preached last week, and he got to remind us of the promise that there was most certainly a, a better father and there's a better son who's coming. So Abraham did not have to sacrifice Isaac because it wouldn't have been sufficient, right? Abraham sacrificing Isaac would not have led to our salvation, only the death of Jesus Does that. So we saw the promise that the Father would be with us. And now, even today, as we step into the text, what we're stepping into is what's known as the Davidic covenant. If you're a note taker, it says David, I see, Davidic covenant or the Davidic promise. And what God is doing here in the text is that he is promising that he's going to establish King David's kingdom. And not not only is he going to establish his kingdom and his heritage, but he's going to establish it in a way that's going to last forever. First through King Solomon and then continuing on through all the generations to Jesus and now even to us, And so what's beautiful is that this covenant, as Jeff kind of took us through, reveals the grace of God. This covenant that God gives to David is not contingent or conditional based off the way King David's going to respond. And if you know anything about King David, he doesn't respond the best. Like the last chapter, chapter 6, he was dancing naked in front of the Lord, all right? That's who King David is. So if you ever think the church is a little jacked up, that's our great, 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 great grandfather, right? And so there's this promise that is given to King David, where the Father, God, has looked at David and said, I'm going to do this for you, regardless of how you respond. Right? That's an unconditional promise. That's called a covenant. What's different about that from us is that we view people in light of conditions. We enter into relationship with people and we think, well, if you do this, then I'll do that. If you do this for me, then I'll do that for you. Whether it's a, a friend or a spouse or a coworker or a boss, there's, the majority of our relationships are conditional. The majority of our relationships are conditional. They're not covenantal. God's relationship is covenantal. He's saying, I'm going to respond the way that I see fit to respond because of who I am, not because of who I am. You are. That's radically different than the way we think about relationships. Because if we're honest with ourselves, and we should be, more often than not, as Pastor Jeff led us through, we think we deserve more. It's contractual. It's a conditional conversation as well, but relationship. If I do this, then you will do that for me. That is conditional, not covenantal, and that is due to the sin of entitlement. You think about entitlement. Entitlement says, I know what I deserve. I know the way that you should treat me. I know the way that you should respond when I give you this Christmas gift at our family gift exchange. I know how you should respond to me. I know how you should treat me whenever I've traveled multiple hours to come sit around a Christmas tree with you, family. I know how you should be treating me in this moment. That's a conditional relationship. Does that make sense? It's a conditional response. Entitlement breeds that in us and says, I know what I deserve. The problem with entitlement is that it keeps you so short-sighted. Because of your entitlement, church, we, we can't see past our nose. We have no idea what we deserve. We can't fathom. And, and in that, then, we cannot fathom the blessings that have been given to us. Entitlement leaves us very one-sided in relationships, Entitlement only allows one voice in any relationship, and that's my voice. You still tracking? Entitlement is very, very one-sided. The reality is we do not need our voice in the relationship. We need God's voice. And so how do we escape entitlement? How How do we step into covenant relationship, not conditional relationships? How do we let go of contracts and experience the grace and the joy that comes from being in a covenant relationship with the Father? Here's your big idea. It's this. Here's how we do it. We need to get off the king's throne, and we need to set at the king's feet. Big idea. We need to get off the king's throne and set at the king's feet. We need to sit and just listen. Listen to me. We need to sit and listen to the king. And here's the reality of this thing. You sit with the king church, and he'll talk to you. He's got some things to say. If you just sit. And you listen, our wisdom is too finite, our vision is too small to understand what he has in store for us. And so we need to sit with him. So I'm going to pray. We're going to do that. We're going to sit with him, and then we're going to dive into 2 Samuel 7. Sound good? All right. Father in heaven, we, we pray, God, and we confess, as Jeff led us to earlier, that we approach multiple relationships, if not all, with some conditions, especially as we come to prayer with you. We expect you to speak. We expect you to do what we're coming asking you to do. I mean, your scripture says anything we pray in the name of Jesus, you'll give to us, so you should give it to us. So God, we misuse your word. We misuse time in prayer. We come to a holy, perfect, Trinitarian, sovereign, providential God, and we tell you how you should respond to us. And so God, be with us this day as we come, Lord. I pray that we would set, and as we set together, continue to set together, whether online or in this room, God, as we prayed earlier, that we would just get a big, beautiful picture of what Jesus looks like on the throne. God, may the picture be so mighty and so profound that we cannot help but to leap from the throne and set at your feet. So God, we need your help by the power of your spirit in concert with your word, Lord. We need you. All God's people said, amen. Amen. So today we're looking at King David, and the promise that he receives from God. Short story is this. King David is king. Uh, Surprise. He's having an incredible amount of success in the kingdom. He's defeating uh, everyone. He's in this new cedar palace, and he's feeling really convicted that the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God is in some dusty old, moldy old Coleman tent out in the desert somewhere. And so the king is looking at the situation, and he's saying, man, I'm in this cedar palace palace and the presence of God dwells in a moldy old tent. Like that's a, that's a pretty good response. It's pretty humble for him, right? To think, how can I live in greater luxury than the God who has appointed me to this position? And so King David comes to the prophet Nathan, who's kind of his second in command, if I may. And he says, Hey, he says everything I just said, Hey, I'm in this cedar house. God is in this tent. He's out there just floating around in a Coleman. Let's build him a house. And Nathan says, man, you have the Lord's favor upon you, Miss Debbie Red. Go and build that house. What's interesting is this. Check this out. 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 3. Miss Kelly says this. Verse 1. Now, when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan a prophet, see now, here it is, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. And so King David, again, he's coming to Nathan. He's saying, hey, how can we live in this palace while the, the God, the, the Lord God Almighty is out living in a tent? And that invites us into the first point. I didn't give them to you on the front end. I'll give them to you one at a time. The king calls you to sit. This is the first thing. The king calls you to sit. Well, how did you arrive there, pastor? King David wants to build this house. house. Nathan says, go for it. Neither one of them consulted the Lord about it. Neither one of them went to the king and asked what the king would have for him. And so instead, they kind of come up with this good idea. It's a great idea. It's a good idea, but it's not a God-ordained idea. And so it's just a whole lot of work that they would have done that God never really needed them to do, nor did he ever ask them to do. And so the, the context here is this. Context is always key when you're reading the scriptures. During this time, here's what would happen. A king would see a great victory, and a king would bring economic um, balance, and a king would bring peace into the land, and he would defeat the foes, and he would conquer, and he would acquire all these resources, and the king at that time would take all those resources, and he would invest them into some idol, some false god, or he would build some kind of monument for a false god, or he would, hear me, build a house for that God to live in. The false God then would promise that he would establish the king's lineage forever. Does that sound familiar from what we heard? And so what God is doing is he's looking at King David and he's saying, I'm not like those other gods. Don't, you don't build me a house. You don't put me in a box. There's nothing that you can do for me. And we're gonna get there in a moment. And so then the application though, in light of that context, gives us something to sit in. And that is that the king calls us to sit before we would ever respond. Think about this just for a second. You see, it's by sitting at the king's feet that you begin to hear his voice. Entitlement tells you you already know what he wants you to do. But That's not what this text says. It says rather you need to come and sit, which means your busyness is not an excuse to not sit. Your job is not an excuse to not Said your extracurricular activities are not an excuse to come to to refrain from coming and sitting at the king's feet. King David here is a perfect representation of all of us. He's busy doing good work, he's aiming to please the Lord, and at the same time, church, he ain't listening. He's just kind of doing his own thing all the time, touching stuff, right? You don't need something else to do, you need solitude. He's inviting you to come and to sit with him. What are you saying, pastor? I'm saying he's literally calling you to come and sit. Well, what do I need to do? You need to sit down. But, but like, what? How about I go, what but do I take notes? Do I do, just worry about sitting for a moment. How about that? Let's just practice a little bit of solitude together. Here's what you need to do. You need to change your posture and rightfully put him in the position that he is due. His throne. Get at his feet. Uh, Think about this with me. Uh, uh, There's a a story in the scriptures about Elijah, the prophet. If you have read your Bible, you're familiar with this. Elijah is on the run. Uh, His life is totally chaotic. He's seeking, he's actually seeking after the Lord, but everything around him is crazy chaos, but he's actively seeking after God. And here's what the scriptures say of Elijah while he's on the run, running to God, mind you. First Kings says this. uh, There he, that's Elijah, came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, listen, pin this. What are you doing here, Elijah? This is a very good question to ask someone on the run. What are we doing here? What are we doing? What are you doing here? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And God said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, what does it say? The sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, listen listen to this, and when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face In his cloak. It wasn't the wind that made that happen. It wasn't the fire that made that happen. It wasn't the storm. It was the low, gentle whisper of the king. He wraps his face in his cloak. And then nothing changes in the conversation. Behold, the voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? God just asked the exact same question again. Elijah responds the same. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, they've thrown down your altars, they killed your prophets with a sword, and I even only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. The conversation doesn't shift. Here's what shifts, the posture of Elijah. Think about that. Exact same conversation, but God had to put Elijah in a position to actually hear him Was he in the storm? Absolutely not. Was he in the fire? No. Was he in the wind? No. What was he in? A soft, gentle whisper from the king. What are we doing here? And it breaks Elijah, just the soft whisper. Note, it was not the fire. It wasn't the wind. It wasn't this storm. It wasn't rocks falling. They led Elijah to cover his face with a cloak to hide himself from the glory of God. It was a gentle whisper from the king. The only thing that shifts is Elijah's posture. Like for some of you in the room, your life is so chaotic that you wouldn't know God speaking to you if He were standing in front of your nose. The fires are raging. The storm is so thunderous and loud. You heard tornado sirens the other night. Your life is a tornado siren. So busy, so chaotic, so frustrating, running, 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 running. And the Lord, the king, is coming to you. Just like he's come to King David, just like he's come to the the, the prophet Elijah, he's coming genuinely seeking you to speak to you. And it won't be loud and chaotic. Listen, it'll be a whisper from a king. And when you listen, listen, when you sit and you listen, it'll be enough to make you hide your face from the glory of the Lord. When's the last time you sat at the foot of the throne and it was so magnificent in church you literally could not fix your gaze upon your king? This is what he's inviting you into and he'll speak to you. Look at what he says. Look at what God says. 2 Samuel 7, four through seven says this. 2 Samuel 7, four through seven. But the same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan and he says this, go and tell my servant, God says, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, king speaking, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Second point, the king desires you. The king desires you. God says through Nathan to David, and by extension, then to his people, to us, God says this, I want to be with you. He's saying, I, I want to be with you. All this time, I've, I've been in this dusty old, moldy old tent out here in the desert, never complained one time. I don't need a house. I didn't ask you for a house. I didn't ask the judges for a house. I've not asked any of the leaders of Israel to build me a house. I've been perfectly content, my dusty old Coleman just hanging out with my people. Isn't that incredible to think about? Like he doesn't desire a palace, he desires a people. And so he says, I don't, I don't need any of that. And this is so profound to me as we think about Christmas and people are going to use and misuse the word Emmanuel, which means God with us. Like God has always been with us. God has always desired his people. He's always had an incarnational ministry. He's always wanted to dwell with his people from the beginning in the garden. He's with Adam and Eve two weeks ago. as we, Pastor David took us through Abraham and Isaac. God was with Abraham and Isaac this week, most certainly. He's saying, I don't need more distance. I don't, I don't need a cedar house. I don't need a palace. I just want to dwell with the people. And think about it. Whenever Israel fought, the Lord fought beside them. Did he not? Whenever they succeeded, the Lord succeeded with them. When they failed, the Lord did not fail, but he was most certainly with them in the midst of their failure, And so God is calling them to sit because he wants them to see how much he wants to be with them. Listen to me. Whenever you have your quiet time, okay? When you have your little quiet time you do in the morning, if you do that, and you should most certainly do that. It's not in that moment that God just decides to show up and be a part of your life. God is incarnational always with you. Especially now, this side of the cross through the power of the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You are the tent by which the very power and authority of the king resides. Think about that. Because of the work of Jesus in your place as your substitute, he dwells in you. He bids you, please with you, come sit, so that he can minister to you. He's always with you. Now, religion will teach this. Religion will teach, if you're bad, then God must be distant. If you're bad, then you just need to go find more of God but if you're good then oh man God is right there with you isn't he ain't he He's just right there with you just loving on you hugging on you right kissing on you like a good dad just all over you that is what religion teaches and is asinine. The gospel teaches God is covenantly faithful. religion teaches it is a contractual agreement it's a conditional agreement if you meet God's expectations then God will show up and dwell with you. But the gospel says, no, 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 no. The king is a covenantal God, and he loves you because he loves Jesus first. And he looks at the cross, and he looks at the finished work of Christ in your place, and that's enough to propel the king into covenant, eternal, unfading, unfailing relationship with you by nothing that you've done. That is the difference between contractual and covenantal. And so the king bids you, church, Just come and sit. Come and just have a listen. Just step into my presence. Get off of my throne and sit at my feet and just listen to me. Do you desire to be present with God in the same way He desires to be present with you? Or do you really like the view from the throne? king of kings has looked upon you as his people and as his children. And listen, he's inviting you right now into his presence. Not because it's Sunday morning and you're at church. You can re-listen to this again on a Tuesday morning, mid-afternoon, and he's still inviting you into his presence. You're not in his presence because you're here. You're You're in his presence because he resides in you. You are the tent by which he is housed now. The king has chosen to take up residence in you, not in a palace. Come on somebody. Come on now. And he'll talk to you. Okay? That should have been the big idea. He'll talk to you cuz I'm going to say it a bunch. And the king, listen, when we sit there, he brings rest. Man, he brings rest. Listen to all these listen to all these declarative statements that happen here in the text. Listen to all these unconditional statements that the Lord is going to make. These covenantal promises the only thing oh my gosh just listen to this i'm gonna get into second samuel 7 let's let the text speak for itself second samuel 7 8 through 11 it says this i just want to show you this check this out verse 8 the lord the king brings rest now therefore thus she shall say to my servant david thus says the lord of hosts i took you from the pasture who took him I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. Think about that. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all of your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, as if that were not enough, moreover, and the Lord declares to David, to, the Lord declares to you, that's David, that the Lord will make you a house. Come on now. He's like, you don't make me a house. I made you. And then all these incredible, declarative, unconditional statements. King David says, comes, hey, I got this crazy idea. It's a good idea. It's a godly idea. It's going to bring him a great deal of fame. I'm going to build him a house, And what does God say? God says, I'm not like the gods of your culture. I'm not that God. I don't need you to build me. You don't fabricate me with sticks and stones and put me up on the mantle to be worshiped during Christmas. You don't put me in a box. I don't need a cedar house and palace. I've told the tree to grow that built your house. I don't need your authority. I don't need you to keep me famous. I don't need anything from you. I chose you, King David. You were walking in poop. Now you're a prince. That's what the text says, by the way. Right? You were just a shepherd, and now you are the prince. You are the king of Israel. You were following sheep, and now people are following you. I've cut off your enemies, he said. I make your name great. I appoint a place for my people. I take away the violence of war. I will give you rest. He's saying, stop doing so much. I'm going to do it for you. Stop working so hard at things that I've never asked you to do. Oh my gosh, church, if we don't need to hear that as a word, tell me you don't do too much sometimes in the name name of the Lord that he hasn't asked you to do. Make me a house. (laughs) That's so good. Mm. He keeps, hey, the king's going to keep his name famous forever. We just get to play a part of that. And do you know that of, historically speaking, if if you're in the room not as a, a Christian, let me inform you with some science, Historically speaking, all the kings that came during the time of King David that built a house to some false god and that false god promised to keep them a lineage forever, not one of those bloodlines exists. Not one of them. The, The genealogy from King David to Jesus is the longest threaded bloodline that we have in human history. Think about that for just a minute. If you're in here not as a Christian, if you are a Christian, then just be mesmerized by the king. That he's done exactly what he said he was going to do. God has looked at King David. He says, I don't need a house. I don't need you to do anything for me. What had happened? See, King David's entitlement, as naive as it might have been, led him to believe that he could do something for God that God might not want to do or could not do for himself. For himself, That is exactly what entitlement does. Entitlement leaves you too short-sighted. And so whenever it comes to seeing what you need, as I said earlier, man, we can't see past our nose. We have no desire what we need. Our sinful tendencies are so depraved, we have no clue what we actually need. And so instead of looking for silence, what happens is we create more noise. We create a bigger storm. We create a bigger fire. We create more wind. We allow more rocks. And so instead of listening to the subtle whisper of a king that is so powerful in its subtlety that it leads us to cloak our eyes from his glory... We think in entitlement that we know that this will be the thing that I deserve. This will be the thing that I need. And then what happens? Life becomes conditional. Why don't you respect me for the thing that I've done for you? Does everyone not see my hard work? Do you not see how much effort I put in being a missional community leader? Do you not see the effort I put in serving Heights kids twice a month? Do you not see the effort that goes in behind the scenes as I'm running Facebook Live? How dare you not give me the recognition that I deserve? What is that person doing? Sitting on a throne. What are they making? A terrible king. Lacking grace, lacking mercy. The king says, come to me and I will give you rest. Matthew 11 says this, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Just think about that, him as a, as a rabbi, us sitting at his feet. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know about you, but I've come to this text and I've read it before and I've thought, uh uh read a lot of the Bible, believe it, this one right here, your yoke is easy, your burden light, yeah, okay, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. The problem is, listen, when we stop listening, we stop following after the king. We just follow our own entitlement, our own expectations. We do all these things in the name of Jesus, and what happens? It feels burdensome. It feels heavy. All of a sudden, the yoke is not so light. Entitlement says, this is what you need. This is what you deserve. This is what you should strive for, right? And we can do a great deal of things and call it godly. We can do a lot of stuff, sprinkle some Jesus on it, can't we? not be for Jesus at all, just be for our own name and our own fame. And the reality is, until we come to the foot of the king and we ask him, God, how do you want me to manage my family? How do I lead my family? God, how do you want me to minister to my kids? God, I got this big thing coming vocationally. I got this big project, got this big powerhouse nonprofit that we've got a war against in our culture. God, how do you want me to do that? How, How should I? King, give me my marching orders like lead me in this moment and we come to the king's feet, and we plead. like it's in that moment whenever the king speaks to you that you say oh okay i see now what you want and my my faith is aligned with the king and my heart is aligned with the king my mind is aligned with the king and then i can do all the laborious work in the world and it feels restful because the king has called me to it and the king has empowered me because he chooses to dwell with me Instead of me just doing whatever my entitled heart wants to do. The king speaks. Listen to me. When the king speaks, he speaks rest. If every time you come to prayer, asking God to speak to you, every time you come and you say, "This is, I'm coming with you, you're not responding. You're getting mad. You're getting frustrated. You're getting, I just don't hear from him. That's a conditional relationship. What you're saying in that moment is if I come to you in prayer, you need to respond to me. Think about that. That's an if this then relationship, isn't it? That's a conditional relationship. Just this week, I was processing through, I was thinking, okay, someone's going to ask, what about when I go to the king's feet, pastor, and you know, he doesn't speak to me? That's where this is coming from. Just this week on Facebook, uh, this is not on the screen, I just saw it Friday when it popped up. A year ago, I put, God doesn't call you to obedience so he can gift you with what you think he's calling you to entitlement. God calls you to obedience because he is God and you are not. Let me read it again. God doesn't call you to obedience so he can gift you with what you think he's calling you to. God calls you to obedience because he is God and because you're not. Look, what you need to know, God is covenantly faithful to you. And as the king, he's inviting you in to sit at his feet, to make requests, to sit with him, to listen. Listen, staying in silence is not just all right, staying in silence is just as restful as getting an answer whenever you behold the glory of the King who sets before you. Like when you really see him on the throne, church, you don't care if he speaks or not. You just want to see him. You just want to be in his presence. You just want to come before you. And as I thought about this, this is going to be a convicting question. Are you ready for this convicting question? You good for this? You good? You guys good online? Can't tell anyway, so. Listen, this is, what I, this is a question I asked myself in prep, okay? Has it ever occurred to you that God doesn't answer your prayer because he wants more time with you? Has it ever occurred to you that God hasn't answered your prayer because he wants more time? Think about that. The king of all kings could be doing anything, anywhere, with anyone, all across the cosmos, and yet maybe he doesn't answer our prayers because he just wants time with us. King calling you to sit. King wants to bring you rest from all the chaos of the world. King wants to spend time with you. Think about that. King desires you. Man. Lastly then, the king wins. And so the king calls you to sit. The king desires you. The king brings you rest. And the last one here, the king wins. 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 17, starting 11 again. Uh, moreover, right, as if that all that other stuff was not good enough, moreover, the Lord declares to you, David, that the Lord will make you, David, a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up for you, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Verse 13. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, and I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Many of you were here during that sermon. Verse 16, listen to this. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And now, in accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. There's a few things that are happening uh, here in the text. The first one is this. um, How much time do we have? Ooh, okay. All right. Um, I'll be quick, okay? Come to second service. It'll be a longer sermon, okay? No, No time constraints. Uh, In short, this covenantal promise, this Davidic covenant, is a covenant, it is a promise, but it is also prophetic. There's two things that are happening here. So it's a promise to King David, but it's also a prophetic word for who is coming afterwards. So in the text, it mentions that um, he he will establish my house, talking about King Solomon, who's going to come after King David. He's most certainly going to literally build the new tabernacle. But then it's also foreshadowing the better king that's going to come, that is King Jesus, not only will a house be established, but a name will be established forever. Not only a name is going to be established, but an inheritance is going to be given. A kingdom will be given. Everything that you could ever want, desire, need, aspire to achieve, or hold on to, or manifest. Is going to be giving. And it's not going to be just given for a season. It's going to be given eternally. It's going to be given unconditionally, right? Regardless of how King David responds, regardless of how King Solomon responds, regardless how all the saints who are going to come before Jesus responds, God says, I'm going to make this thing happen, right? And so what's beautiful about that is that in David's entitlement, what he thought he was going to do was build a house, Now, in in hindsight, now that we've read the scripture, how short-sighted does that look? King David's like, I have a cedar house. I'm gonna build him a cedar house. It ain't rocket science. And God's like, you're not building me anything. I'm gonna build you something. You know what I'm gonna build you? I'm gonna build you a name. I'm gonna build you an inheritance. I'm gonna build you a lineage. I'm gonna build you a genealogy that lasts forever. As if that were not enough, I'm gonna build you a whole entire kingdom that is unfading and unfailing forevermore. You just want to build a house. How juvenile and innocent of you. What a cute king you are, right? The father's like, no, I'm the king. I build you a house. And then what happens? Jesus comes and he lives in perfection amidst a terrible, corrupt people. What does he do? He comes incarnate. He doesn't stay in his kingdom and in his cedar palace in the heavens. Rather, he comes and dwells among his people, which he's always done. He lives a perfect life. He goes to the cross. He dies the most humiliating death in our place as our substitute. He resurrects to new life. He sends us the Holy Spirit. Why? So the Holy Spirit can dwell in us or apart from us. So he can dwell in us, which has never happened in the history of the Bible. We're the first ones that get to do that as Christians. Have the Holy Spirit in us upon professing faith in Christ, regardless of how we respond, which kills religion, doesn't it? And so what does Jesus Do he sends us his spirit, he dwells in us, he retires and goes to Florida. Is that what he does? No. What is he doing? He's building us a house, baby. That's what he's doing. Check this out. Last text I have, John 14, 1 through 7. Let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus, this is a red letter, speaking to his disciples. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, not King David's, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... What I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? You can't earn your way into the kingdom. Only through professing faith in the finished work of Jesus do you get to enter into the kingdom. What's he doing? Preparing a house. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. You can't get there on your own. That where I am, you may be also. Oh my gosh, just think about how much he desires us, church. Think about this. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Right? The king builds his house for you, for me. Not just a promise to King David Church, a promise to us. That he right now is preparing a house, when you feel like God is distant or disconnected or you feel like you're making terrible decisions, so that must be enough to push God away. What I would implore you today is to recall that Jesus is most certainly building a house for you, establishing his kingdom right now. I mean, globally. We could Pastor David up here and share statistic after statistic after statistic about how the nation of God, the kingdom of God is growing in inexplainable ways around the world. What's he doing? Building a house, building a kingdom, keeping his name perfect and <laughs> perfectly suited in history forever, right? Entitlement leaves you thinking that you know what you deserve. God looks at that and says, you're so, you're so short-sighted. Do you not know what you've been offered? To quote C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis on this says, um, we find ourselves playing in a sandbox and we, while we've been offered a holiday, I mean, while we've been offered, yeah, a holiday at sea. We find ourselves playing in a sandbox while we've been offered a holiday at sea. What is he saying? He's saying, man, if only we would get the promises of God. If we would actually believe that God is all that he says he is and is doing all that he said he would do, we'd actually set in the promises of God and believe that Jesus is building his house and Jesus is establishing his throne and that ultimately Jesus wins this thing. We're going to hear it in the benediction, that he wins. Man, that would shape the way that we find joy. It would shape the way that we come and set at his feet. And so let me ask you this week, Man, are you prepared to sit at his feet this week? Or do you just want to enter into 12 o'clock and the chaos that comes? Set setting his feet this week. Just spend some time with him. Even if it's total, absolute silence. Just sit with him. All right? stand with me and we'll take communion. we got to be done. I'm way over time. As we take communion every week, um, we do this as a family. If you were unable to grab a communion cup on the way in, please just make your way to the front one of the baskets and grab a communion cup there. The Apostle Paul um, helps stir our affections and our heart towards this King Jesus. And so when we think about this, says this, for I receive from the Lord, but I also deliver to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant. Listen, not a new contract, not a bunch of new conditions. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as you sit there holding those, I guess, elements in your hand, let me remind you that the bread represents Christ's body that was broken for you and the cup represents Christ's blood that was spilt on your behalf. The, The beauty of the gospel is that the king doesn't call his sons and daughters to win the battle, but the king himself comes and fights for us. And he doesn't do it so that we can do a bunch of chaotic activities and sprinkle Jesus on it. He does it so that we can ultimately find rest sitting at his feet. So again, as you go to take communion, let me invite you to repent. To repent for all the times you've chosen to sit on the king's throne instead of sitting at his feet. And then you just ask him to speak to you. Physically, through the elements, he will, but he will also speak to you verbally. So enjoy your time at the King's table.